Welcome to the Payoff Pitch, presented by DNL Window Tending on Fanimal Radio. I'm Paul Valley. And in the last week, the Orioles have made a number of roster moves that we're going to talk a little bit about today. Uh, one of the first moves that they made was with Pedro Alvarujo, who was the Rule 5 pick holdover from last year, need to be at the big league level for 17 days, came in after David Hess had gone six and a third innings of no-hit ball and proceeded to give up a base hit and then a home run. Really ineffective, just like he was last year. Orioles, instead of deciding to hold on to him for 17, for the court, for the prerequisite 17 days for this season, decided to DFA him and send him back to the Cubs. However, in doing that, when he went back to the Cubs, the Orioles then traded the Cubs international bonus slot money to bring Alvarujo back into the organization. They assigned him to Bowie, so Alvarujo stays with the Orioles, and he's now at the minor league level. We can get more seasoning and really learn how to pitch because he's got a live arm, but he doesn't know how to throw yet. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, another move, the Orioles signed starting pitcher Dan Straley pretty much at the time, they were hoping to eliminate having to have bullpen games. Uh, we'll talk about how that's really not in the equation now. But they signed uh, uh, free agent starting pitcher Dan Shelley, who was released in spring training by the Miami Marlins. And the corresponding roster move there was they DFA designated for assignment Drew Jackson, another Rule 5 pick. The Phillies picked Jackson from the Dodgers in the Rule 5 pick. Then the Orioles traded international bonus slot money to the Phillies to acquire Drew Jackson, who needed to stay on the 25-man roster all season with, or else be offered back, I believe, to the Dodgers. So the Orioles DFA'd him. He has to clear waivers, and then he'll go back to the Dodgers. I think it's a bad move just because they don't really have that kind of talent. Uh, he can play the outfield. He can play the infield. He looked like a good hitter, had some promising power that he showed last year, hitting a career-high 15 home runs at double-A. I really thought this was a guy the Orioles would keep in their organization, try and turn into a Marvin Gonzalez or Ben Zobris-type player. But now he's back with the Dodgers for the time being. They, they could still trade to get him back in the organization, but for now he's gone. Uh, Dan Straley is here. Dan Straley made his first appearance with the Orioles. Uh, in a game where they gave up 15 runs to the Yankees on Sunday, he came in a mop-up duty after David Hess. Uh, didn't pitch particularly well, uh, which is why it's surprising to me that he just threw Sunday and now he's starting on Wednesday against the Athletics, which could be another bullpen game after that short start by John Means yesterday. Orioles' arms are taxed. Uh, Australia going to make the start tonight. They're probably looking for him to go three to five innings. They're probably closer to three than, than to five. Uh, so they also called up um, Josh Rogers from the minor leagues to replace Alex Cobb, who went on the 10-day injured list yesterday with a lower lumbar strain. So that's the corresponding roster move there. Josh Rogers will probably come in after Straley in tonight's game against the Athletics. Hopefully rest that bullpen, give them a little bit of length. Uh, Rogers, if you recall, went 1-2 and two with the Orioles in three September starts last year, pitching to an 8-4-9 ERA over 11 and two-thirds innings pitched. So not a ton of success at the major league level for the Orioles. He came over in the trade with the Yankees that saw Zach Britton go to the Yankees for Cody Carroll, Dylan Tate, and Rogers himself. So uh, the Orioles like his arm. They think that he's a solid pitching option, and he's going to have the opportunity to pitch for the Orioles tonight. Uh, speaking of guys who got their opportunities, again, John Means started yesterday. Had some bad luck uh, against the Athletics. The Orioles ended up losing that game 13-2. to uh, We focused on the second inning where Means got five ground balls that didn't leave the infield, uh, three infield hits, an error, and a three-run home, three homer later. The Orioles find themselves down 5 to nothing before they even got their second at-bat of the game. 
again led, leading to a 13-2 loss. Evan Phillips, who was called up because Nate Carnes went on the DL with right forearm fatigue, uh, excuse me, the, the not politically correct IL injured list. Um, he had right forearm fatigue. Nothing serious, just the Orioles were trying to get out in front of it, give him a little bit of rest so that nothing pops up because he's been oft injured in his career. So Evan Phillips got the call, and he came in after John Means last time. Pitched really well, went three innings, gave up uh, just one hit, one walk, no runs, and four strikeouts. So nice to see Evan Phillips take the success that he had at spring training and bring it over to the regular season. Um, Big-time situation for him last night, and he really stepped up. Can't say the same for Richard Blyer and Miguel Castro, but that's something that we don't need to talk about because they've left a lot to be desired this season, to say the least. So so those are the the roster moves for the Orioles over the last week. Talked a a lot about the pitchers in there, and we're going to kind of go right into some minor league pitching for the Orioles because, uh, as we all know, the Orioles' bullpen ERA right now is above eight. They have three guys in Richard Blyer, Miguel Castro, and Mike Wright who have ERAs above 11. So the Orioles need all the help they can get, uh, and that help isn't going to necessarily come from the big league roster just yet. It's going to come from the minor leagues. So a couple of guys that we talked about in previous shows that we can be excited about, uh, Zach Lothar, Keegan Aiken, Grayson Rodriguez, Blaine Knight, Cody Sedlock, and D.L. Hall, they've all made their uh, starts at the minor league level this year and have all pitched pretty well. Uh, Zach Lothar, last year he pitched to a 2.18 ERA between Delmarva and Frederick in 23 games and 22 starts. Uh, he had five innings pitched with no earned runs, two hits, two walks, and six strikeouts in his first start of the season um, for the Orioles. Uh, down at the minor league level, I believe he's pitching at Bowie. Forgive me if I'm wrong, he might be at Frederick. I should have known, I apologize. Um, Keegan Aiken, first start for Norfolk in his first promotion to AAA. He went three innings pitched last night. I think they're slow playing him into the season. Uh, One earned run, three hits, three walks, three strikeouts. Uh, He touched 96 miles an hour. They said he looked athletic and he looked really strong. Uh, You want to see the walks down. uh, A walk per inning is not what you want from a pitcher, but I do think that the Orioles are slow playing him because potentially they could see him eating up a lot of innings for the big league club later on this season. So, We'll see how that goes. If you recall, Keegan Aiken was the Orioles' minor league pitcher of the year last year. In 25 starts, he went 14-7 and with a 3-2-7 ERA. Big, powerful lefty, uh, former second-round pick. I think the Orioles expect a lot out of him. I know I do. He's one of the guys I'm most excited to see pitch. I think he could be a big-time pitcher for this organization. So, uh, Grayson Rodriguez, Orioles' first-round pick last year. He made his first start for a full-time affiliate the other day. Went five innings with no earned runs. And the big number here, he struck out 10 batters. 10 strikeouts in five innings. That's insane. That's something you really want to see out of your first-round pick. So I think the Orioles are excited about Grayson Rodriguez. I know I'm excited about him. And that's certainly a way to start off your first full professional season. So hoping he can help them. Probably not this year. Probably not next year. But, you know, be a big part of that rebuild when the Orioles start to get back into contention. Uh, another uh, draft pick from last year, Blaine Knight, third-round draft pick out of Arkansas. If any of you watched the College World Series last year, you saw Blaine Knight absolutely dominate the Oregon State Beavers, who ended up being the eventual champions, but Arkansas took a one-games-to-none lead in that series because of Blaine Knight and his domination. He made his first uh, full-time start uh, from Orioles affiliate, went five and two-thirds innings pitched with three hits, two earned runs, and three strikeouts. Another guy I'm really excited to see pitch. I thought he was a steal 
in the draft, had a sub-3 ERA in college last year, a big-time program. So I think that Blaine Knight is definitely a guy who's on the Orioles' radar, and he certainly is after that strong performance to start his season. And then there's, there's um, D.L. Hall, who was a first-round pick for the Orioles in 2017, led all Orioles minor league starters last year with a 2.10 ERA in 22 games and 20 starts, covering 94 and a third innings pitched. He made his first start the other day, went three innings pitched with one earned run, three hits, one walk, and six strikeouts, another guy averaging two strikeouts per start. Uh, Orioles minor league pitchers in general are averaging almost 10.5 strikeouts per nine innings. The minor league leader last year was the Houston Astros organization, averaged just over 10 strikeouts. So, again, it's a small sample size, but that's something to be really excited about, especially when you look at the fact that Mike Elias and Sigma Dell were with the Astros last year, and now they're with the Orioles this year, and now we're seeing an uptick in strikeouts from the minor league pitchers. I don't think that's a coincidence, and I think with the new emphasis on analytics that we could see more of the same here uh, like we saw with the Astros last year. So that's definitely something to look forward to and be excited about about this team when, let's face it, the big league team has lost five or six games and they're under 500 right now. They're not going to give us a ton of excitement this year. So we can look at the future in the minor leagues, and that's these guys that we, that we just listed off. So that's something to really look forward to and think these guys are going to be coming to help us. So the better they, they are at the minor level, the more success they have is better for the future of this rebuild. And the last guy we're going to talk about, because he is often forgotten because he's often injured, is Cody Sedlock, who was the first-round pick just back in 2016. He struggled to find success at high A Frederick the last couple of seasons, pitching to some astronomical ERAs. Last year, he was injured, only pitched in 13 games, uh, including nine starts. But he made his first start for Frederick, and again, like we said, he struggled at Frederick the last two years. Well, in his first start, he went five and two-thirds innings pitched with just two earned runs and two hits allowed, and he struck out nine batters. So if the Orioles are going to get first-round talent out of that first-round pick who hasn't shown it to this point, that is huge for the organization. Hopefully he's healthy. Hopefully this is just a glimpse of things to come for Cody Sedlock. And, you know, this, we can really look forward, hopefully, to him coming up and helping the big league club in the next couple of years. First, he needs to have that continued success at the minor league level, and this is certainly a good start for him. So joining me next in studio will be Matt Pine of Baseball is Boring Podcast, and he's also a contributor to Utah Street Report. Matt just wrote an article the other day for utahstreetreport.com talking about spin rate on fastballs and sliders for um, Dylan Bundy and Miguel Castro. He also talked about expected weight on base average and exit velocity, not just for batters, but also for pitchers. So Matt's going to be in studio. We're going to talk about that and much more. But first, we're going to have a word from our sponsors. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills, drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL Window Tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. Welcome back to the Payoff Pitch, and joining me now is Matt Pine of Utah Street Report and Baseball's Boring Podcast. Matt, thanks for joining the show today. Thanks for having me, Paul. Absolutely glad to have you. Uh, Matt recently wrote an article for Utah Street Report discussing 
exit velocity, spin rate, and ex-WOBA that he's going to talk about a little bit. But first, Matt, you had the opportunity to do a sit, to sit in on a Q&A with the author of uh, Astro Ball, Ben Ryder, mm-hmm. and Orioles Vice President and Assistant General Manager, Sigma Dell. Correct. Can you tell us a little bit about what you learned from that sit-down? Yeah, it was awesome. I actually had uh, Ben on my podcast the previous week, so I kind of had a, an introduction going into it of what to expect. Um, it was interesting because I, going into it, I thought it would be all you know qualitative or quantitative analysis, and and I actually talked more about the qualitative, actually knowing the player, getting the scout's eye on him, um, and how that's important in the modern day. If you look around baseball, like all the all the teams basically have the same information, so they're all putting in the practice. So it really comes back to now knowing the player himself, and once you know the player himself, you can either implement those analytics with that player if he's receptive to them. Or you know, move on with with a new player who's more receptive. So that that was really an interesting piece that I learned, um, along with you know some of the advanced statistics that we'll talk about. Okay, great. Um, one of the things I really liked about your article, um, as my listeners may know, I'm not really up to speed on sabermetrics. I'm just learning along with them mm-hmm. about what all this stuff really means. And I I was nervous to read your article because <laughs> I, was gonna, I was afraid I wasn't going to understand um, the stuff that you were talking about. Right. But I really enjoyed the readability of your article. I could mm-hmm. read these things and you wrote it in a way that helped me understand what you were saying about each particular statistic. So I really appreciated that. Well, thank and, you. Oh, absolutely. And with, with that in mind, uh, the first thing I want to talk about is uh, spin rate. Uh, you talked about how Dylan Bundy has the highest fastball spin rate. And I have a number here that you put down. His um, spin rate is 2,595 RPMs on that fastball. Right. Uh, Miguel Castro leads the team with a 3,167 RPM on his slider. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to me and our listeners what that means and why it's good for the team that those numbers are where they are? Sure. So to just backtrack for a second, I'd say about a year ago I was at where you are now with, with baseball analytics. I really hadn't really known anything about them, and I wanted to kind of do a deep dive and kind of get a good information, uh, good you know, sense for myself. Um, so basically with spin rate, uh, RPMs refers to revolutions per minute. So if you threw that pitch and, it, and it, it went through the air for a full 60 seconds, that would be the 2595, like you mentioned, or the 3167. So I find it interesting that Dylan Bundy especially leads the team in fastball spin rate because he's not like a big high-velocity guy, right? When you think Dylan Bundy, you think low 90s, 92, 93. Maybe on a good day, he'll top out at 95. Um, but this, this was kind of interesting to me. And really what spin rate indicates is movement on a ball. So that could be vertical movement. That could be horizontal movement. Uh, it's just basically a good indicator that it will fool the hitter. Um, so you don't necessarily need a high velocity, but you need what is called effective velocity. Okay. Um, so when effective velocity basically is what the hitter perceives the velocity to be. So you could be throwing 85, but it really looks like 95. Um, so that would kind of, you know, knock that term out. Um, so essentially, when you're looking at somebody like Dylan Bundy, uh, obviously he, he uses his secondary pitch as well. Like he has his curveball and he has his changeup. Um, but when he elevates his fastball, much like David Hess, he finds a lot of success. Um, same goes for Miguel Castro, who actually, if he averaged that slider a spin rate for a full season, he would rank second in all of baseball and have the second highest spin rate for a slider. Um, Unfortunately, what I've been noticing, especially in the last few games, he, he uses his fastball a lot. His fastball is among the highest in baseball in terms of velocity. He can hit 98, 99, but that doesn't mean that it's an effective pitch. Um, he, he doesn't have any control of it over it. 
and essentially it's just a cookie up there. It doesn't have a high spin rate. It's just a flat fastball going through the zone. If he mixed in his slider, which has an extremely high spin rate, and he mixed in his changeup, which he threw was 90 miles per hour, he would find way more success than just throwing cookies over the plate like we saw um, the, other, the other night to Clint Frazier. Right. And, you know, it's funny. I was, on, um, I was on the airplane home from a vacation last night, and I just read your article right before I got on the plane. Okay. And when I got off the plane, I saw that Castro got lit up right. again uh, for the second straight game. And the first thing I thought was, after reading your article, mm-hmm. he must have stayed away from his slider right. and thrown a ton of fastballs. It was all fastballs. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's, it's funny that I read your article. Just from reading that, I knew the pitch, the pitch sequence that he had right. without having to watch the game. Right. Uh, and you mentioned Bundy having not the highest velocity on his fastball, um, but the, the high spin rate could make it more effective, mm-hmm. especially up in the zone. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you say that because Ben McDonald was on a um, spring training broadcast, and he had mentioned that back in the early to mid-'90s when he and Mussina were teammates, right. he said you know, he had, a, he had a faster fastball than Mussina did. He'd throw it up in the zone and get knocked all over the ballpark, whereas mm-hmm. Mussina would be throwing 91-92 up in the zone, but right. he'd be getting strikeouts. Right. And he mentioned that probably had something to do with spin rate. And it's interesting to see that after your article and the, and the way that you look at it, that that's probably what the case was. Yeah. So, and with Bundy, would you say then that his lack of success right now is more based on location rather than and hitting his spots rather than the lack of velocity? Yeah, I think that's the case for most, if not all, pitchers on the Orioles right now. Uh, if you, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos or the gifts of the catchers like losing their their mind when they give up home runs when the pitcher gives up oh, a yeah. home run. It's because they're setting down, you know, low and away, and they miss like high and inside or something. It's just all about pitch location. And another thing that I could bring up, too, is uh, the technology that Sigma Dell and Michael Elias, really just Sigma Dell, has brought over from the Astros. So they've brought over uh, what are called high-speed cameras, Edutron high-speed cameras, and they also have the TrackMan, which is basically over the press box. Um, so this can do basically two things. High-speed cameras can show you the release point on the ball, so where you're actually releasing it, and that will definitely affect your control and, and where you want to pitch the ball. Um, and it, it can also show you your like your mechanics and your windup. So if you're if you're coming too far off the rubber on the left side or the right side, that can affect where where the ball goes. It's just basic physics. Um, another another thing that they've implemented is the TrackMan device, and this can actually track your bat path. So this could help. We've already seen it help a player like Richie Martin, right? When he first started in the first opening series in New York, he had like a higher swing that the a higher stance, rather, that when he was swinging, he was taking a longer path to the, to the ball, and that would, you know, obviously create weaker contact or, or he would be late on some fastballs. Now he's got more of a short, compact swing, and that's really helping him, and we saw that the other night when he hit a triple. That's, that's a pretty quick adjustment, too, from the first series it's, to the it's to unbelievable. fourth series. Uh, like, like we've seen the pitcher in, like, David Hess. Like, he's throwing 96, excuse me, 96 miles an hour, Andrew Kashner's topping out at 95. This is something we've never seen before, and they've implemented it in just a week's time. Yeah. And you mentioned David Hess, and he's at the forefront of, your, of the next stat that you mentioned in your article, and that is expected weighted on base average. Now, we talked about Wobo weighted on base average in our Nerd Stat of the Week a few weeks ago, a segment that we do on the show from time to time. Uh, can you explain to me what the... Um, what expected weighted on base average is, and what the number uh, 217 means for David Hess and 424 for Trey Mancini. So essentially weighted on base average um, is, it takes into account uh, ballpark factors. It takes account uh, your defense. So if you have a good defense, you're in a big ballpark, you're probably going to have a pretty low 
uh, Woba if you're a pitcher against. So 217 is phenomenal. I mean, that's like Chris Davis level on base percentage. Oh, um, so if you have something in that range, you're obviously pretty effective early on. Um, so the X part would be just basically the expected. So that's just projecting out over a full season what you can expect for that pitcher. Obviously, we have a small sample size so far. Um, and he faced a not-so-great Blue Jays lineup the other night. Uh, so when he faced the Yankees, he did give up those four runs. Uh, but I, I expect him to be a much better pitcher this year. And what about Trey Mancini, we're, we're going from the offensive standpoint with the expected weight on base average? Uh, it's, it's pretty much the same, just the inverse. Um, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of protection in the lineup, so it's going to be all on Trey this year. Uh, he has VR in there, which will be good, but I feel like one of those two could easily be traded by July. Um, but, yeah, you've seen him take his walks, and with power, obviously, becomes pitchers are going to pitch around you more often. So I think he could definitely draw some more walks this season, and evidence early by the ex-WOBA, I think he ranked in the top 19 in all of baseball in, in ex-WOBA, and for a player such as Trey Mancini, who had like 249 last year, that's not to be expected. So I, I look for big things out of him in the first half and probably all year. Yeah, he's having a really nice bounce-back season, at least to start the campaign, uh, based on you know top three rookie of the year voting in 2017. has has that injury to his knee in that series against Cleveland last April that really sidetracked his season. Right. It seems like he's getting back to the player that we saw him progressing towards in 2017. Definitely, and, that, and that's, I think, the hope for all Orioles fans. And it's going to be sad to see him go when he does go, but I, I, he's going to be one of the big-name trade pieces to look for either this July or at the end of uh, the season. Oh, so you don't, you don't expect Trey Mancini to remain with the ball club through the rebuild. You think he's going to be a trade piece for them? So, exactly. So he's going to be entering next year. is going to be his first year of arbitration. So he'll actually have three years of control past this year. That's going to be really attractive to teams looking for controllability for a guy who can play the outfield and first base. That's interesting. I, I kind of expected him to probably be the first baseman of the future, but you're right, all those years of control, and if he has a, a huge season this year, he could be an attractive trade piece. So I, I, I wouldn't doubt it if, or be surprised to say if he does get traded. So we'll see how that goes yeah. as the season progresses. Uh, and then the last thing that you wrote about was exit velocity. Mm-hmm. Um, and exit velocity is basically just the speed of the ball off the bat, right? Right. Uh, so Renato Nunez leads the Orioles with a 96.9-mile-per-hour exit velocity. And then on the inverse, mm-hmm. Michael Givens, as a pitcher, leads the Orioles with 82.6 miles per hour off the bat exit velocity. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to our listeners about that and what exactly that means. Sure. So you, when you think of exit velocity, you think of like the big guys like Aaron Judge and Carlos Stanton. Um, and ex- exit velocity is a really good indicator of a hitter's future success, right? So we see... Uh, guys hitting at a 115 miles an hour or 120 miles an hour off the bat. That's probably going to be a home run, if not a far double in the gap. Um, so if you're, if you're just projecting out a lineup, especially I think it comes into play now with free agency, um, you're going to have no-name, no-name guys like Daniel Polka from the White Sox. Nobody knows who he is, but he has a extremely high exit velocity, and teams are going to want to jump on that because they expect him to get better. When we saw Manny Machado developing as a young um, 19-year-old, he was hitting a lot of doubles and not a lot of home runs. Incrementally, you would see his exit velocity creep up each year, and you knew those doubles would turn into home runs. So I think it's a really good indicator. From the hitter standpoint, uh, from the pitcher standpoint, I kind of think of Michael Givens as like a Darren O'Day who throws hard. Right? So we see Darren O'Day, he would get a lot of weak contact, a lot of ground balls, and that was mainly due to his arm angle. And when, even if it, he throws, like, you know, low to mid-80s, 
with that arm angle, you have less time to react to it, and it, you're not, it's not the normal over the top. Um, so I think that's just a combination of the arm angle and him throwing 95 miles per hour that induces that weak contact. Well, yeah, especially with that arm angle, instead of having a pitch coming from up over, over the top of the head, mm-hmm. it's coming from the side, which kind of shortens the length of the pitch. Right. And when it's coming at 95, that pitch can look maybe 100 plus. Right. You know, so that's, it's not surprising to, know, to see that Givens is getting weak contact and having that low average exit velocity. I think his, his big issue, like we already mentioned, is his control. Because um, he's he's, he walks a lot of hitters because he sometimes will throw off one side and come off the rubber kind of awkward. Uh, so I think that's, that's going to be a real key to his success this year. And Renato Nunez, getting back to what we were talking about with Trey Mancini, I think you mentioned that he could be a trade piece mm-hmm. in your article. Um, with that exit velocity, do you think he would be somebody that would be worth hanging on to for the Orioles, or is he somebody that you could also see as a legitimate trade piece should he have a big season? Um, I, I think he would be worth hanging on to the Orioles because I think offensively he hasn't reached his full potential. And obviously, um, come trade season, you want the guy to have their, their absolute highest tradeability at that moment. Um, he doesn't really play good defense, uh, which we've seen. He hasn't really played the, the field a lot. They have Rio, Rio Ruiz um, at third base. He's kind of the mainstay. And now Hanser Alberto out of nowhere. So I'd like to see him maybe you know hit some more home runs, get his own base percentage up before they trade him. So that, that might be more of a next winner type thing. Right. It is... Um... It's, it's the same issue that plagues Ryan Mountcastle. Right. Big league bat, but no defensive position. So you can't put him out there. And the interesting about Ryan Mountcastle is he's starting at first base in Norfolk. So he, if, if you do go ahead and trade Trey Mancini, he might be your heir apparent at first base. Right, right. Assuming that he can, that he can you know, translate that success at the minor league level over to the major league. Exactly, which isn't so, easy to do. Exactly. So, well... Uh, thank you, Matt, for joining us today. Really excellent stuff, and I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, hopefully we'll have you on again soon. As for me, that's going to do it for the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Professional Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio. Once again, my name is Paul Valley, and we'll see you guys next time.